Hello and welcome to the 21st episode of the Bat Flip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis. I'm your host, Toby. In today's podcast, I'm going to share some predictions for September, a period of time in the season that can really make or break your fantasy baseball uh, season. Um, And I'm also going to cover some questions uh, that I got uh, on Twitter over the last week or so in kind of a mailbag section. So hopefully you'll find some value in uh, either or both of those segments. As always, you can find the podcast on iTunes and other podcast platforms. If you like what you're hearing, please do give us a five-star rating, write a nice review, tell your friends, uh, share it on Twitter, uh, whatever you can do to spread the word. We would greatly appreciate it. Uh, I'd also like to just give a shout out to folks who have left a five-star rating and review. Uh, It really does mean a lot uh, for the podcast and to me. You can follow me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Also have Instagram, Facebook, a blog, BatFlipCrazy.com, and then have been producing some uh, YouTube videos at uh, BatFlipCrazy YouTube channel. Uh, I got a handful of new videos, um, so hopefully... Uh, You can check that out and you will like that. So without further ado, let's get this party started. For today's first segment, I thought it would be fun as we head into September to uh, make some predictions. They're not necessarily bold predictions. Um, You know, those have a certain... Uh, you know, unbelievability to them. But these are just some predictions based on some skills that I've seen, um, some player performances recently that I think may come to fruition uh, in September. The first one is that Matt Olson will lead uh, the AL in home runs in September. The A's have a very favorable schedule down the stretch with a series against the Mariners, uh, Yankees, Rangers, Orioles, Rays, Angels, Twins, Mariners, and Angels. So really the, um, the Rays and the Yankees are the only kind of formidable pitching staffs, I would say, uh, in that equation, which is nice for a full month. Uh, you know, Olsen's skills really do seem to be lining up uh, for the right time. He has struggled so far in the second half. But over his last four, over the last 14 days, he's got a 29.1% O swing, and which is trending down, um, which is always nice. Uh, that is a little bit better than league average, where he's really excelling. He's got 88.5% Z contact, which is about 3% above league average for in-zone contact, which is great for Olsen because he generally is below league average. And then he's got a 43.2% hard hit rate and a 46.6% fly ball rate over that same period of time. Uh, So the combination of the favorable schedule for Olsen in addition to those skills, as well as some underperformance that he's had over the course of the season, 24 home runs on 27.3 expected home runs, 238 average and 260 expected average, uh, make me think that he may have a really strong September. You know, obviously last year he had a amazing September, which he likely will not replicate, but um, I could see him hitting uh, upwards of 10 home runs uh, in September, which uh, should be good to put him among the league leaders. 
Next up um, is Abigail, Avasail Garcia, sorry. Um, Garcia is, um, has really been struggling since a little bit before the All-Star break. He went on a massive uh, tear where he led the league for a couple weeks in expected weighted on base average. He was just on fire, but then he's had a couple injuries, um, a hamstring in particular, that have kind of slowed him down. But he does have a very favorable schedule in September as well. And I like some trends that I'm seeing in his batted ball profile. So my prediction is just that uh, Garcia is somebody who is going to have a really big um, September and contribute greatly to uh, fantasy teams. Uh, He starts out the month um, with a series against the Tigers, then the Angels, the Royals, and the Orioles. The The finish is a little bit tougher with the Cubs, uh, sandwiched between two series with the Indians and a Twins finish. But, um, you know, at that point in the season, the Indians may be resting their starters a little bit. Um, and I really do think Garcia is somebody who, when he's on, he can produce against, um, against anyone. So he's somebody I like a lot. Some of the signs that I mentioned before um, that point to the fact that he may be overcoming some injuries, um, his O-swing you know, is 43.8%, which is terrible. That's about 13% above league average. But he's one of these guys that you really ignore that with. He comes from the Javi Baez um, school of hitting where you swing at virtually everything. His Z contact is up over the last 14 days at 84.6%, so about league average. His hard hit rate is at 32.4%, and his fly ball rate is at 37.8%. None of those really jump out at you, but when you look at the trends, they're all in the right direction. He's generally a guy who doesn't hit a ton of fly balls, um, so his fly ball percentage is up there, and his hard hit rate is climbing very quickly. Now, one thing that really kind of piqued my interest is a couple days ago, he hit a home run, and that home run had an exit velocity of over 100. 110 miles per hour, which for Garcia, that's actually the first time he's hit a ball that hard since July, right before the all-star break when he was going on a tear. And what we know from some research is that just one batted ball um, at a very high exit velocity can be a strong indicator for um, uh, a hitter's uh, future performance. And so, you know, there's nothing right now that's kind of... um, uh, really jumping out, but um, that exit velocity tells me that you know the the body is maybe feeling a little bit better, and then the trends in his um, rolling average graphs are really piquing my interest. And so he's a guy who's going to get plenty of playing time as long as he does stay healthy with that favorable schedule, especially early in September. I expect him uh, to really have a great uh, start to the month and hopefully finish it off. Uh, equally, uh, equally, equally well. Uh, the next guy up is Tommy Pham. And I think that he is going to finish the season the way that he started, uh, which if you, will rem- if you can remember that far back, uh, was red hot. Uh, like the two previous uh, guys, he's got a, a favorable schedule. Uh, the Rays play the Blue Jays, Orioles, Indians, A's, Rangers, Blue Jays, Yankees, and then Blue Jays again. Three series against the Blue Jays, which who may have uh, one of, if not the weakest staff right now, um, is terrific. They also give up a ton of stolen bases. And so he um, is a guy who may be able to contribute in five categories uh, here down the stretch. 
the skills are also starting to come together. And I think the big thing for me for FAM and something that we've missed since the beginning of the year is the elite plate discipline that he showed at the end of last year and early this year. And that's a sub 20% O swing. Over the last 14 days, he's at 17.1% on that O swing, which is awesome. His Z contact is right around league average at 84%. He's hitting the ball very hard, 57.7% hard hit rate, which has actually been something that he's done all season long. And while his fly ball percentage is low at 26.9%, that's kind of traditional fam, if you will. And so I think the, the combination of the favorable schedule, batting cleanup in that Rays lineup, the skills kind of coming together. I think Pham is a guy who can really contribute greatly uh, to fantasy teams here down the stretch. The next guy um, who's uh, had a really strong start to the week is Adalberto Mondesi. And I think that he is going to propel a number of fantasy teams to victory down the stretch with five home runs and 10 stolen bases in September. Now, the 10 stolen bases actually isn't that bold. He actually has 10 stolen bases this month um, in August, but he's just been stealing at a tremendous pace. He's already got 18 stolen bases this year, um, and it wouldn't surprise me if he finishes in the high 20s, as I mentioned before. Now, what has been surprising about Mondesi is his power. And uh, the good news is, is that everything in his profile so far is really supporting uh, that power. Uh, he has six home runs, which come on 6.4 expected home runs. He's got a 41% hard hit rate over the last 14 days uh, with a 48.6% fly ball rate. It's a little high on the fly ball rate side, but he's hitting the ball in the air and he's hitting the ball hard a lot. Uh, and he's also hitting the ball in the air and hard with a 43.2% hard hit fly ball rate, um, which is about 7 or 8% above uh, league average. His barrels uh, per plate appearance is also at 7.1%, um, which is very strong, especially for a guy with his pro uh, profile. In addition to those power metrics that support the possibility for that five home runs, which I think is more of a stretch than the 10 stolen bases, his plate discipline has actually been improving over the last little bit, 34.8% over the last 14 days. His Z contact isn't stellar at 79.6%, so about 6% uh, below league average, but it is an atrocious, uh, which, is, which is always good. Um, so the stolen base mark, that 10 stolen bases, really seems within reach, especially if the Royals get some sense and start playing him every day instead of resting him every couple days. And I think the home runs uh, could really be gravy. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, could really be gravy uh, for uh, fantasy owners. So he's a guy that I would really love to have uh, down the stretch. Now, Victor Robles um, is a guy whose season has really been derailed by injury. He hyperextended his elbow on a pretty gruesome uh, dive in the outfield earlier in the season. But he is back uh, playing at AAA Syracuse. Over the last uh, 10 games, he's hitting 262 with a home run, two stolen bases. Um, you know, he's a guy who I'm going to say is going to have the biggest impact of any September call-up. Um, you know, there's more high-profile guys now. Um, you know, the Blue Jays, obviously, with uh, Vlad Vladito. Uh, the White Sox with Eloy Jimenez in... Um, 
who would both obviously shoot to the top of any September call-up list, but I really don't see them getting the call. There's been indications in the media that that is a decision that's already been made uh, for those two, and so I don't anticipate that happening. Uh, the Nats will want to give Robles some time against MLB pitching. He got um, a little bit of a taste last year, um, but um, you know they'll want to see what, what they've got um, with Bryce Harper leaving and a potential opening in the outfield next year. They'll want to know whether they think Robles is ready to contribute at the ma- major league level. Um, and based on you know what I've seen from um, you know folks on Twitter who I trust around prospects, I, I definitely think Robles um, uh, is a guy who can contribute now. And one of the primary reasons for that is really speed. Um, you know, speed, as we know, is dwindling uh, in the fantasy game. Stolen bases are of huge value. And so he's a guy who will be able to contribute stolen bases. He should get the green light um, in Washington. I imagine he'll bat towards the end uh, of the lineup um, where he'll get, he'll get the green light to run. Um, and he's not going to hurt you or he shouldn't hurt you in other categories. He's able to provide at least league average, uh, batting average, if not higher, and so that combination right there, um, along with the strong Nats lineup, I think um, is going to be a recipe for success in September. So he's a guy who I've been uh, targeting um, as we, um, you know, as September comes, because you're going to want to get him on your team before the call-up happens, because once it does, his price and fab is really going to shoot up. Next up, I'm going to cover um, two pitchers. Um, The first one, and he will be familiar if you listen to me, is Kyle Hendricks. And my prediction is that Kyle Hendricks is going to have a sub 2.0 ERA in September. Uh, I am really stubborn, and I have uh, Hendricks was part of my bold predictions. He was one of my guys that I thought from uh, for a second half pitcher was going to be a stud. And the thing with Hendricks is he's been pitching incredibly well. If you look at his peripherals Um, in the second half. Um, he's been uh, tremendous, but he's really been hampered by a really high BABIP, a 355 second half BABIP, which is well above his career average, which is well below the league average. Um, he's uh, historically been better than league average with his BABIP. Um, he generates a lot of soft contact, and he's doing that in the second half. Uh, he's got a 20.5% K minus walk rate, which is 6% above league average. Um, his K per nine um, is at uh, close to nine at 8.94 per nine, 9.3% swinging strike rate, which is actually below league average by about uh, 1.5, 1.5% or so. But his O swing is up 33.5%, so about 3% better than league average. His first pitch strike, at least on the season, is up um, it's not uh, near his uh, career totals, but it's at 62.5%, which is about 2% above league average. His zone percentage is also up at 44%, so right around league average. He's generating 25.5% soft contact, which is about 7% um, above league average, which is terrific. And his hard contact is actually equal to his soft contact, 25.5%, about 10% below league average. And that swinging strike rate was low at 9.3%, but he has 17 more called strikes than any other pitcher in baseball since the All-Star break. And so he's not only getting swinging strikes, um, but he's also getting 
the most uh, called strikes of any pitcher in baseball. So obviously I'm stubborn, but I'm sticking with Hendricks. The Cubs have been playing really well. He should get you some wins here down the stretch. And I think his luck is going to turn around. He'll have some positive regression and really help fantasy owners a ton. The second guy I'm going to cover, um, I covered uh, a little bit um, uh, a few weeks back, and that's Carlos Rodon. And my prediction is that his magic trick of a season is going to come to an end with a string of rough outings here in September. Um, I won't get too much into details of the analysis on Rodon. I will just say that I refuse to live in a world where Rodon can post a 194 BABIP with a 252 expected BABIP and look like a world beater of a pitcher with a 9.4% K minus walk rate. Yes, that's right, 9.4%, uh, which is 5% below league average and a, and a K, per, uh, K per nine below seven. Um, you know, Rodon is just having some incredible luck on balls in play, um, on his home run per fly ball rate. And I think he is going to see some regression here down the stretch. He obviously doesn't have to. It's a smaller sample size. Um, but uh, I do think that, um, that we're going to see some rough outings uh, down the stretch here. So those are seven predictions heading into September. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, those can help you as you um, head into the final month and you have some of those guys on your roster, or in some cases, uh, they may be available um, on your waiver wire in shallower leagues. All right, that is the sound for mailbag. Um, so these are some questions that I've gotten on Twitter over the last uh, week or so. Some I solicited for the mailbag, some I thought were just... Um, really good questions and, and raise some interesting kind of strategic points um, in fantasy baseball and fantasy baseball analysis. So I thought that I would um, cover them um, here. Uh, the first question is one that I got about Jose Peraza uh, of the Reds. And uh, somebody was having a tough time figuring out what exactly to make of uh, Peraza. Um, he's been having a pretty solid season. Um, stealing bases, decent average, decent runs for counting stats, and even producing a little bit of power. Um, I believe he has nine home runs on the year. And the question that, um, you know, and I responded saying, you know, he was good and essentially in the sense that he's provided, I think, some good value to fantasy owners. Stolen bases are so valuable. Batting average is so valuable um, that where he was being drafted, I believe around 280p, um, he was, um, you know, he was a good catch uh, for fantasy owners who had drafted him. And the person followed up with a question about, you know, his um, hard hit rate being low, exit velocity being low, um, his weighted, uh, his woe bacon uh, being low. Um, so that's weighted um, uh, on base average uh, on balls uh, that he may make contact with. And then expected uh, batting average as well um, weren't looking that good. And I think what uh, the question really highlights and is, is so important is, um, you know, the, the importance of using the right metrics to analyze different players. So in the instance of Peraza, 
you know, he's somebody that you've rostered primarily for his speed with some hope of some upside, right? Uh, particularly in batting average, maybe some runs. Um, but a lot of the metrics that I use, and I think a lot of fantasy analysts use in general, really place a premium on um, power. And so they may not be the best way to analyze guys like that. Uh, stats like WOBA or expected WOBA, you know, give more value to extra base hits um, and home runs in the formula. And that's not necessarily what you are banking on from Peraza, right? So, um, you know, another good example would be for Peraza. I don't necessarily want him to have a high fly ball percentage. Um, I checked on it and I believe his hard hit fly ball percentage is around 20%, right? Because, um, you know, his fly balls are going to end up in a lot of instances uh, going for um, outs, right? Some of them may go for extra base hits. Some of them may even be home runs. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, the the dent in his batting average as a result of a high fly ball rate is likely going to be um, more detrimental than, you know, the occasional home run or extra base hit uh, that Praza is getting from those fly balls. So I wouldn't necessarily want to look at fly ball percentage at least as a positive, like a higher fly ball percentage. Um, I would really want to look at... Um, you know, uh, making sure that that five ball percentage, for instance, wasn't too high. Um, I would want to look at things like um, his contact rates, right? He's got a very high Z contact, end zone contact rate. I believe it's around 96%. He's one of the league leaders. That's something great to see. He's putting the ball in play. He's fast. Um, he should be able to maintain a pretty decent BABIP. His line drive percentage um, has been better this year. Um, you know, looking at O swing for on-base percentage, that's actually an area where Peraza could really grow. His um, O swing this year, I think, is around 35%, so well uh, below league average or above league average, uh, depending on which way you're looking at it. And so that would be an area where, you know, he's not going to be great in OBP leagues. Um, he's not going to be able to contribute the same in terms of value um, compared to average, but that would be an area where you'd want to see him grow. Uh, where he's batting in the lineup would also be uh, important in thinking about whether he was able to accrue um, some counting stats and to what degree he was likely to do that. You know, the contact rate obviously drives the batting average, as does line drive rate, um, ground ball rate, keeping that um, fly ball rate low, and then also looking at his um, stolen base percentage. So how often is he successful? How often is he running? Um, those would be more of the metrics that I would look uh, to gauge the value of a guy like Peraza. Now, you can never make assumptions, and so what I'd want to do with a guy like Peraza is, is look at some of those um, metrics, right? Like your expected WOBA, or uh, more importantly for me, things I like to look at for power are things like hard-hit fly ball rates or hard-hit pulled fly ball rates, barrel percentage, expected home runs. And if you take a look at that, there's really not a lot of power there for Peraza. He's outperforming, um, he's doubling up on his expected home runs. I think he has somewhere around four um, to his nine home runs. And so nothing in the power metrics are saying that there's reason to believe in the power. And so we need to look at different metrics to gauge uh, our expectations around his stolen bases, around his batting average, um, around some of those counting stats that we should be gauging his value on, right? We're obviously going to integrate um, his power into the way that we're valuing him, but we can't just use the, the same metrics to, va uh, to, de 
to determine whether a player is, you know, quote unquote, good or having a good year or not. We really do need to um, change up the metrics that we're using depending on the type of player um, that we're looking at. Um, so I hope that that um, is helpful in kind of explaining that. I think that is an important part of overall um, kind of fantasy baseball analysis is understanding the player and understanding what you're hoping to get from them and then what metrics will um, or will not um, support that. The next question um, was from at a goring CSCS who asked, why does Jose Quintana suck now? Now, this may actually not be the best day to do uh, this question because he did pitch well um, today against the Phillies. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of um, why Quintana sucks or why there's a perception that he sucks now is that, you know, coming into the year, Quintana's fantasy owners and I think fantasy uh, owners in general had very high expectations for Quintana. I believe he was being drafted in the 70s or 80s in terms of ADP. He was in a good situation with the Cubs. He had moved over to the NL from the AL. Um, and last year, he had a career high 26.2% K percentage, which was actually 4.6% uh, higher than any previous year. Now, um, you know, and this isn't to, uh, to gloat or to, you know, say that, of course, I was right. But, um, you know, he was somebody that I was fading pretty hard at the beginning of this season. And the reason why I was doing that is because I didn't see um, in the skills and some of the expected stat metrics, they really didn't support what he was doing last year. So for instance, his K percentage was a career high last year and was above league average. But when you look at his swinging strike rate, um, it was well below league average at 8.5% last year. That's about 2% um, below uh, league average. Um, which isn't even the highest that it's been in his career. Similarly, um, his Z contact and overall contact rates were also above league average. Um, and so that really didn't show me somebody who should have had a K percentage that was, you know, a decent amount, you know, three and a half, four percent above, you know, league average. Now, if you could look back at his track record and say that he had always posted K percentages that were much higher than maybe his swinging strike would indicate, um, you know, that would be one thing, but you really couldn't see that in the, in his history. So I think that was kind of warning sign. Number one is that the underlying skills didn't necessarily support some of the outcomes that he saw last year. I think warning sign. Number two was that despite having a poor ERA last year at 4.15, um, the expected stats actually showed that he could have been um, uh, he could have been worse. So he had a, a 237 batting uh, average against last year uh, compared to a 254 expected batting average against. And so hitters were, um, you know, they not only made good contact, but the expected metrics, the batted ball quality, so um, uh, horizontal and vertical launch angle when combined with um, exit velocity kind of showed that, you know, yes, he was getting hit, hit hard already, but that he even deserved to get a hit maybe a little bit harder last year. And then he had a career high 24 home runs, but that was actually supported by 24.8 um, expected uh, home runs. So overall, the batted ball quality was not good last year from Quintana, um, and the expected stats uh, supported that. And so I think that was 
warning sign number two for me at least as I was doing the analysis. And so there were definitely some warning signs there, though he obviously had a long track record of very solid production, right? He wasn't spectacular, but he was a guy who threw a lot of innings um, and would give you good ratios, um, low walk rates, um, uh, and, you know, and so forth. And so, you know, there was obviously very good reason why he was going so high, especially given his situation with the Cubs. But, you know, I felt like that uh, the strikeouts were a little bit misleading um, last year and, and that this, the skills didn't support that this year. Now, when you look at the skills this year, they are down again, you know, so even from last year. So he has the lowest first pitch strike percentage since, uh, that he's had since his rookie season and then his lowest zone percentage since 2013. Now, these are both above um, league average, but the problem with um, Quintana is that he also has the lowest O-swing percentage of his career. Um, I believe it's uh, 26%, you know, and so the combination of a low O-swing percentage, so he's not getting people to chase at pitches outside the zone with that dip in both first pitch strike and, and zone percentage means that there's, he's throwing a lot more balls. Um, and so, and in addition to kind of his control metrics there, his swinging strike is down to 7.5%, which is frankly, you know, pretty horrendous. That's about as low as you'll see a starter who gets a lot of innings have, and that's about 3% below, um, you know, league average. Um, so, you know, the combination of that O swing dip, um, and, you know, a decline in some of those control metrics has resulted in, in his highest walk rate by far of his career at 10.3%, which is well above league average, almost 2% above league average. So, and the thing about Quintana is it could actually be much worse for him based on the batted ball quality. So he has a 249 batting average against, um, which is well below his 272 expected uh, batting average against. Now, you know, it may be that um, there's something that either Quintana is doing or the Cubs defense maybe um, is doing that's resulting in that gap right there. And so, um, you know, that may be something to consider. But, you know, his 20 home runs have come on 18.1 expected home runs. So he is, um, you know, uh, he is doing worse than the expected home runs would have you uh, believe. But, you know, it's not by a huge margin necessarily. So, you know, why does Jose Quintana suck now? Um, I would say in general, you know, he wasn't that good last year. Uh, I think there were signs heading into this season um, that some of the positive metrics from last year were a little bit of a fluke and that he wasn't going to do as well. And then you combine that with his stuff has just gotten worse. He used to have, you know, a very strong fastball. And while it's still a plus pitch, you know, when you look at P values or pitch values, you know, it's not at the same level that it was previously and then he's also seen a decline in some of the plate discipline metrics and velocity on his pitches. For instance, his curveball, um, is the swinging strike rate on that is down um, a good deal. And so all of these things combine to just be a recipe for disaster um, for uh, Quintana. I'd say the takeaway on this is just the reason why it's so important not only to look at outcomes, even in a full season, um, but to take to take a look at skills and to see whether the skills that you're seeing, things like swinging strike rate, things like O swing, first pitch strike, uh, zone percentage, um, uh, whether whether those kind of really kind of component parts that make up the outcomes are supporting what you've seen 
um, uh, from the pitcher in terms of their outcomes in determining whether you want to invest in them um, in any given year. So that's what I would say is the takeaway, um, for me at least, from um, uh, Jose Quintana. Uh, the next question um, is uh, one at Action Jackson um, asked, who do you like more rest of season, Luke Voigt or Tyler White? Uh, now, this question was asked before the Andrew McCutcheon trade, which likely will impact Voigt's um, value considerably. Um, you know, it really, uh, you know, he's going to be, you know, at first base and you have Greg Bird, you have Neil Walker, um, uh, who are going to be looking for at-bats there too. And so um, there are some question marks, especially now around Voigt's playing time. But even before that, I liked uh, White more. Now, they both have similar plate discipline, hard contact and fly ball percentages, um, you know, solid plate discipline, very good hard contact, um, slightly above average fly ball percentages. But the major difference is that uh, Tyler White has a much higher contact rate. So he's got a 90% Z contact, um, which is a little over um, 4% above league average, whereas um, Voigt has a 77% Z contact um, which is about eight and a half percent, eight point seven percent below league average, and that's really huge, right? Because that um, is going to impact the consistency of production between the the two players, and it's also going to uh, really impact the volume of balls in play. You know, White is going to be putting a lot more balls in play, a lot more balls that have the potential to fall in, um, a lot more fly balls overall, even though they have similar fly ball rates and a lot more hard hit fly balls because he is making contact more consistently. Um, and so you also have to like him more for um, batting average in, a distant, in addition because of those higher contact. So it doesn't necessarily mean that Voigt, you know, can't outperform White, uh, but I think the combination, um, you know, of very good contact skills along with the quality of contact that we're seeing for White is the best recipe you can have and why White may really be not necessarily the September call-up, you know, that have this, has the biggest impact, but the guy who comes up from the minors who has the biggest impact down the stretch on fantasy owners. The next question was about um, uh, was from at Andrew Matney and was a question about September uh, one call-ups. Um, and so with September one call-ups. You know, I mentioned Victor Robles as someone that I like a lot. I think the key with September call-ups is a couple things. Number one, you know, uh, follow your prospect uh, guys on Twitter, you know, who are doing really um, uh, great work. You know, um, uh, look for folks who are doing that, and they can give you kind of the best sense coming out of the minors, maybe what to expect um, from a certain player in September. And then in addition to that, I would really look at, um, at playing time, um, right? Um, you know, there's less than 30 games remaining in the season. So the guys who are going to get at bats are the guys who can get hot and go on a run. So, and it also depends on what you need, right? Especially in, in Roto Leagues. So if you need stolen bases, a guy like Kevin Newman of the Pirates, he's gotten off to a slow start since being called up. But he looks like he's going to get a majority of the playing time now that Adani Echeverria has been traded. You know, Josh Harrison is still there, but they really want to give him a look. 
he stole 28 bases at AAA. And so if you're looking for stolen bases, if you're desperate for stolen bases and you're looking for a September call-up or a, ver- a right before September call-up who can contribute, you know, he might be a guy that you want to look at. If you need power, a guy like Ryan O'Hearn of the Royals, who isn't technically, again, a September call-up, uh, but is a rookie getting his first taste of action, is getting the majority of playing time with the Royals and is really hitting the ball well. The skills are really nice um, for O'Hearn. You know, it's not always the name prospects, the obvious guys towards the end of the season in a small sample size who are going to do great, right? Just look at Matt Olson last year or Tyler White this year. So that's what I would say is follow your prospect guys as guys come up, um, you know, do your research and figure out who you'd be excited by and then kind of figure out, read um, some of the local um, beat writers and figure out what type of playing time you think guys are going to get and kind of determining who you might want to go after. And so if you need some names, you know, I think Victor Robles obviously is a guy who isn't as owned right now because he hasn't been called up, but I think will get a shot in September. And then I mentioned a couple other guys um, in there. Um, uh, you know, there's some other guys the Giants just called up two two players. So look for guys who are on bad teams who are going to get a run out. Um, and, you know, don't be afraid to go and pick them up, put them on your bench, see how they do initially, and then make a judgment based on that. All right. Um, the next question um, was about players who might get rested um, down the stretch. Um, and so I think, um, you know, it's hard to say for sure right now who's going to get rested down the stretch. But generally speaking, I think there's, you know, a general recipe for who may get rested. And it's a combination of a couple things. I think you have to look at players on teams who have already clinched, who may have small or, you know, lingering in injuries. So the guy who jumps out in my mind here is a guy like Chris Sale, right? From everything that we've seen, this isn't a serious injury, but, you know, based on his performance last year in the playoffs and the amount of innings that he's thrown, you know, the Red Sox probably just want to be overly cautious with him, make sure that he gets some rest before the postseason. So guys like that um, may be an example. You know, another guy who jumps out may be like an Edwin Encarnacion. You know, I don't know you know, he just came off the DL, so he may be, you know, feeling better. He's been hitting well since he got off the DL. But, you know, a guy who has had, you know, maybe a DL stint in the last month, who, you know, whether it's, you know, he's going to get rested the last three games of the season or just get every other day off in the last couple weeks, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, guys like that, that's kind of the recipe, you know, uh, teams that have clinched and they've got smaller lingering issues that have bothered them throughout the season. Um, Now, the next one is players who are on teams that are out of contention um, who also have the same issue, like a small or lingering issue. Um, A guy who who comes to mind would be like a Sean Doolittle, um, right, Um, who doesn't have much to pitch for anymore with the Nationals. They want to get him back. They want him, you know, to be healthy. They want him maybe to throw a few innings, but they're not really going to push him. They may not even put him in high leverage situations where he may you know, want to push himself a little bit. Um, But you never know, right? And that's the thing with these is, you know, you have Shohei Otani who's supposed to pitch on Sunday and you would have thought, why on earth would the Angels have risked risked, um, having him pitch this year? Well, he's going to pitch and who knows how many innings he's going to throw. So you never know. And it's not necessarily something that I would bank on that people are going to be rested down the stretch. 
And then the last category um, is kind of players who are on, again, teams who are out of contention who might get rested to give younger players an opportunity. So a good example and somebody I've been thinking about a lot is a guy like Adam Eaton, right, who missed uh, all of last year pretty much, missed the beginning half of this year, um, has been playing more often for the Nationals, but has been getting rested occasionally. He's a guy who has shown that he can play at a high level again. Um, it might make sense, you know, to rest him a lot down the stretch, give Victor Robles a chance um, to get everyday playing time in the outfield while giving Eaton the occasional start or uh, starting every other game while some of the other outfielders uh, swap in for, um, you know, to let Robles get some playing time. So those are kind of three examples of players I think that you should be just considering may get rested down the stretch and be thinking about what your plan might be um, if that does happen and how you're going to treat those players before it actually happens. So maybe you have some depth on your bench uh, for that position and you add guys, um, you know, situations like that. You always want to be thinking a step or two ahead, a week or two ahead, especially with the waiver wire, because if you're, get, if you're going after guys the week of, you know, you're going to have to pay a higher price or may not be able to, um, to get them as easily. So that's what I would say about players down the stretch. Um, the last question of the mailbag um, was about David Boat. Um, and the question was literally David Boat, question mark, question mark, question mark. Now, um, Boat uh, definitely has shown the ability to have high quality contact. He's got a high barrel per plate appearance at 8.4%. He's been hitting the ball at, uh, consistently at high exit velocities. I think the major questions for him around, are around uh, plate approach and playing time, especially he's hit a little bit of a rough patch here. He has been playing nearly every day, um, but he's hitless in a, in a few games. He's striking out a lot, um, and the skills really bear this out over his last 15 games. His uh, plate discipline uh, has gone south, 39.5% O swing percentage, so about 9% above league average, not very good. His Z contact is about 3% below league average at 82.5%. He's not hitting the ball nearly as hard as he was initially at 31.3%. And then his fly ball rate is at 40.6%, which is solid. He's got a 215 WOBA over that period of time, which is not good. But he does have a 329 expected WOBA, so he's just underperforming a little bit. Um, so I think the challenge is, especially with the addition of David, uh, Daniel Murphy, you know, there's a lot of competition for playing time in the Cubs lineup. Boat is obviously a guy who can contribute when he does get an opportunity to play and when he does make contact. Um, I just think it's always hard with rookies, right? They can get hot at the beginning, but the hardest thing is making the adjustments when pitchers adjust. Uh, one thing I notice is that he... Um, you know, he's not seeing a ton of fastballs um, right now. The percentage of fastballs that he's seen has uh, dipped uh, since he first started out. And so maybe that's an adjustment that pitchers um, have been making with him. If you look at his minor league track record, he's shown uh, decent plate discipline, 9.9% walk rate this year, around 9% in previous years. So a little bit above a league average. And then he's been about league average with his K percentage. It's 24 points, uh, 24% this year, um, but it's been less in some previous years. And so you'd expect you know, him to do a little bit worse on both accounts with the increased competition. And so you are probably going to see a little, a slightly above uh, league average K percentage like you're seeing right now, maybe you know, around league average uh, plate discipline. He's not a huge fly ball guy either in the minors. 
um, or so far in the majors. He's only got a 28.6% fly ball rate, which is going to limit his power. So I think overall in deeper leagues, you know, NL onlys, you know, deeper 15 teamers, um, you know, he's, he's definitely okay. And he has the potential to contribute as we've seen so far. Uh, I do think that pitchers may be making some adjustments. Um, he may be getting a little bit exposed right now. And if that does happen, you know, I don't think that um, uh, Madden is going to uh, wait too long before um, he starts putting someone else in uh, for boat, given the different options um, that he does have. Um, and so that is going to um, wrap it up for the mailbag. Um, I hope that that was helpful. I tried to get into a little bit of detail about players um, and also kind of share um, some lessons or you know, strategic ideas that I have. Um, you know, as always, these are just uh, my ideas. Definitely uh, check in with other folks. Uh, pay attention to, um, you know, fantasy analysts who are putting out great content there. Um, learn as much as you can. September really can make or break. There are so many roster changes. There are so many uh, changes in role. Um, your ability to adjust, um, your ability to think on the plot, on the fly, and your ability to prepare um, you know, for uh, potential outcomes is really going to help determine whether you maybe win a fantasy league or finish in second or third or whether you're able to get into contention instead of falling back. So um, great questions. Thanks, everybody, who um, contributed to those. Um, greatly, appreciate, uh, th- greatly appreciate the engagement. That is going to wrap up the 21st episode of the Bat Flip Crazy podcast. Um, I hope you uh, found some value in both the September predictions and the uh, mailbag questions. Um, We're getting to the last month of the season here in fantasy baseball. And so I wish uh, everyone uh, the best of luck. Hopefully the podcast is bringing some value Uh, to your efforts to win or do as well as you can in your fantasy baseball league. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do go to iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. Give us a five-star rating. uh, Leave a review. That is always a highlight um, of my week when we get new reviews. Um, Let me know um, what you think about uh, the podcast. Uh, Let me know what you think about the mailbag. If you have your own questions, Um, feel free to contact me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Let me know what those are, and I can cover them in a future episode um, or uh, just reply to you on Twitter. Uh, So thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, Best of luck with all of your fantasy baseballing, and be kind to one another.